Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Oh, happy day, everyone. It's good to be here again with you on the Epic Narrative, as always, thoroughly enjoying your company and the story. I know last week we, I, uh, it was hard to actually put down what passage that was, right? Because technically we didn't even finish <laughs> for the one verse. Oh, Bob was having a good time with me on that one. I don't, I don't even know what happened, but I hope you had a good time with us. We are still in Chapter 2. We are on, I believe this is Episode 7. Uh, we're in Exodus Chapter 2. We're going to kind of finish up Verse 15, go through the end of, end of the chapter today. I promise. I, I won't get stuck. <laughs> okay, don't make promises I can't keep. Yeah, that's a good point, Bob. But my sincere desire is to finish up the chapter this week. All right, here we go. Uh, You know what? I'm going to read all the verses, so at least then we're done. And then if you don't listen to the rest, at least you know we read through the book, uh, the chapter. Okay, so um, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest in Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flocks. Some shepherds came along, drove them away, but Moses got up, came to their rescue, and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Raoul, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, even drew water for us, and watered the flocks. Well, where is he? Raoul asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in this foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and cried for help. Because of their slavery, and it went up to God. And God heard their moaning and remembered their, his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned for them. <laughs> I paused briefly because I thought I might not get through the end of this chapter. <laughs> oh, sweet Lord. It's a good story. I like this story, as, as you guys know. And it's, uh, you know. It's not called the epic narrative because we try to get through things quickly. It's epic. All right, so Moses, Pharaoh finds out he tries to kill Moses. Moses fled from Pharaoh, went to Midian, where he sat down by well. Now, we went through this last week, and we talked about the fact this could have been a several-year journey. I do understand if you don't like that. If you want him to get right there, fine. Get him right there. But it still takes at least a few months to get there, and I wanted to note this, that the word, uh, and there he sat down by a well or dwelt by a well, it, it means to abide, to stay, to have an abode. However long it took, however long it took him, he sat down by the well. It's the same word as dwelt. It's that idea that he was there for a while. He could have been there for hours, yes, but he could have been there for weeks, 
right there by the well. Observing life, interacting with people. <clears throat> Probably many strangers made their temporary homes by wells, by oases, by I need a water. <clears throat> That's what I get for having a snack just before this. Uh, so however long it took him, as we read, <clears throat> he clearly looked like an Egyptian. Now, I, do, I think he grew out his hair and had a beard. And maybe Egyptians uh, generally had those characteristics and only shaved, you know, for royalty or whatever. I just think he grew it out. Now, maybe he shaved it again. I Like, I, I understand that, too. Uh, I don't really like facial hair. I just, I just don't um, on me. Uh, there's something about it. I just feel old. <laughs> but... When we hit this uh, hit this crazy uh, whatever, currently it's about nine months on the road in an RV. Um, I grew I grew a little facial hair, not a lot, not a lot. My wife ne doesn't necessarily like a lot, but she does like it, so that's always helpful. I don't mind having something she likes, but uh, it's been it's been kind of an interesting journey. Yeah. Along the journey, like it's like, yeah, I kind of like it on the road in an RV. Change of change of focus in life, untangling from almost forty years in church ministry. Just I don't know, a new look, new life, new perspectives, new journey. So in my head, it makes sense that Moses would let his hair grow differently than it was before, just to kind of. Also, to kind of not be recognizable, not that I think a lot of people outside of the um, upper echelon, the elite of Egypt would know who he was, but, but you know, maybe there were plenty of merchants that would have known who he was, so maybe he just kind of just didn't want to be seen. That's why I think he kind of grew out his hair, but, but evidently, in the way he carried himself or the way he spoke or the accent he had or the clothes he wore and would have brought with him, somehow he was seen and known as an Egyptian or recognized as somebody being from Egypt. And I know that that may be odd for, for those of us who aren't from that area of the world because we might think, well, they all kind of look the same. People feel the same way about Americans. They look at us and think, well, they're, they're American. They clearly look like they're from America. They act like they're from America. They have accents like they're from America. And we think, no, we're so different. We're so different. Like the accents are so different in America. It doesn't matter if we all speak the same language. It's like you can tell someone from the Northeast and from the Midwest and from the South and from the Southwest, Texas, Oklahoma, and from the West Coast and from, I mean, for us, it'd be obvious. So I'm, I'm guessing there are characteristics about Moses that just made it clear that he was an Egyptian. Now, Joseph had, had the opposite look. Joseph evidently always looked like a Hebrew, and we, we touched on that back in, in uh, season two. There was he, he, although he had you know the trappings of royalty and was, the, in essence, the vice, uh, the vice pharaoh, he knew he was never going to be the Pharaoh, and that was fine with him. Uh, archaeologists have uh, have some. I mean, there's a lot of, just so you know, there's a lot of different viewpoints when it comes to archaeology. There's all kinds of 
perspectives. There's people who read timelines differently and therefore it changes the way that you read the rocks and the and the ruins and the bones and the and the pottery and it it goes on and on. And you know, they have to pick one, I guess, to put in a book. But if you read archaeological um, journals and and uh, I guess you'd call them magazines, blogs. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of disagreement. So just understand that along the way. But Joseph was known to have had you know that one house with a central court a court area. Uh, it tend, it was round, according to um, those who think it's his. It had uh, three bedrooms, which would have been really odd because uh, the men and women of royalty, husbands and wives of royalty did not sleep in the same rooms, but in Joseph's house, they did, and his two children each had their own own room, and he was buried in, in the, the Delta region with his uh, siblings, and many believe they have found that ancient city, which was buried uh, under another city because the pharaoh... After the one that forgot Joseph, after the seventy, um, the seven generations had died off, that one uh, saw to it that the. Well, no, sorry, this would be after Moses. Anyways, <laughs> after Moses leaves, an incoming pharaoh buried the city and built another city on top called the Pharaoh Ramses, which that pharaoh built the city of Ramses on top of the region in which the Hebrews lived. And now that they've dug it all down, they can find this region. They believe that they have found the tomb where Moses's life, or not life, Moses's body was kept until they left Egypt and carried it off to the promised land. Oh my goodness, did we spend some time on minutia? Yes, we did, Bob. Yes, we did. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Are we still, please tell me where... We're still at verse 15. Oh, man. Well, anyways, he sat down by a well. He, do, he dwelt there. Now, uh, it says, Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters that came to draw waters and fill the, trough, fill the troughs to water their flock. Uh, now, what happens to these uh, girls, these shepherds, is really uh, interesting because their father was a priest in Midian, but the lack of respect that is shown to his daughters shows that at some level he must have lost his place. He must have either stepped down or walked away or had had said something or done something in such a way that somehow his daughters and his flocks were not being respected. And this is, I think, in, important for us to to kind of pick up because sometimes it's just seen as, you know, these these shepherds were just just being mean. But there's a point to this. The father was a priest. He was somebody who was a spiritual leader. He had seven daughters. He had flocks. He had at one point, a place of honor and respect. Now, tradition says that he lost his faith in the idols because they didn't come through for him. And he was so devastated by the fact that they didn't come through for him that he walked away from his role. Again, this is extra biblical, 
But this is what uh, this is what's alluded to in traditions. It, and and the lack of respect that was shown to his daughters comes from the fact that the people were offended that their spiritual leader no longer wanted to 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 lead them. And that uh, that that although assistant priests is that a word assistant priestess they stepped in they kind of put a cloud of shame over Raul they they kind of put a a cloud of uh question and disrespect a lack of again they didn't honor Raul now sometimes he goes by Jethro and I'll explain that uh in a little bit but but the two um the two names can be connected just just so you know uh so that lack of respect traditionally is said to come from this guy kind of stepping down or stepping away from leading people. And they liked him when he was their leader. He was a good leader, a faithful leader, someone who encouraged them, somebody who was wise, somebody who could help them make decisions. And and I, I'm guessing that over time, like when you're not really tapped into spiritual wisdom, eventually you figure out you're just depending on yourself. And these idols are really not coming through for you. And, the, you know, it, whatever practices you might do or rituals you might do or, or meditations you might do, uh, you realize, I'm, I'm not, this is not real. Like, this is not happening. And people are depending on you and people have this honor and respect and speak so highly of you. And then you, you're, you go home and go, that's like, I, it's all a lie. It's all a lie. I'm not actually doing anything. And they give all this honor, you know, and respect to whatever, the sun, the moon, the star, the, the, the frog, the whatever. And, and it's really me. I, I don't know. Like that's a lot of pressure for some people because you don't want to, you don't want to disappoint people. I, I mean, I know a lot of people who do that even in the Christian church. Right, they have this tremendous what was called the fear of man. Right, this this level of expectation that others have put on them that they have to perform and serve and and you know be on call. Should should the preacher stand up and say, "Hey, let's get a word from so and so," or "Hey, everyone, go see this person because they'll help you out." And then it's like, ah, oh, wow. When, when you're doing it in your own strength, it gets lonely, it gets exhausting, and I imagine if you're a priest of an idol, you kind of step back and go, this is ridiculous, and he just kind of stepped away. And maybe without that much explanation, the people were just offended, and and the assistant priest that stepped into the role, that took on that role, stepped back and said, wow, like he never really followed the gods. Like he, he, he was not, he was leading us astray. Cause I can't imagine someone who steps away from these roles hasn't dropped some hints in some of the conversations that, that they've had along the way. So I throw all that out to let you know that, that this world that, that, you know, that he's stepping into isn't isn't as straightforward as some of the you know movies like to make it or or the or preachers like to make it. It's a complicated uh, relational world that he steps into, that Moses steps into, and and as he's dwelt by the well, he has seen and heard the various conversations. He has interacted with people. He has bought and sold and traded things, and people know that there's an Egyptian living by the oasis, living by the well. And that's fine. And shepherds didn't show up every day. 
Shepherds showed up based on where they, you know, they, they go to the wells that are nearest to the to the region at which they are feeding their flocks. So you may see a shepherd every day for a couple of weeks, and then you might not see him for a couple of months. So it wouldn't have been something that he observed on, on the regular. But he might have heard of this family. He might have heard of, of the priest that had stepped away, this guy named uh, Jethro or Raul. And then you have to ask yourself, well, what's going on with, with, with that guy? And maybe he's heard a few rumors here and there. Maybe he's, he's picked up that, that, uh, you know, that this guy might have stepped away. Maybe the fact that he did step away kind of intrigued Moses because he kind of feels disenfranchised from the calling that he had. You know, when, when you feel rejected, you tend to pick up on vocabulary and descriptions that, that connect with you. And when you feel like you've missed your, your, your mark, when you've missed your calling, then you understand when somebody says, yeah, I just, you know, it just didn't work out. It's like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, I'm not saying he had any contact with Raul slash Jethro, but I think he might have heard about him. Now, he, he sees, it, it says some shepherds came along. Oh, sorry. He had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill their troughs to water their flocks. So they were doing two things. They were collecting water for the house, and they were going to fill the troughs to water the flocks. So Moses is observing the well, hanging out. Now, again, he might have also been looking for a wife. I can't take that away. He would have known his Hebrew history enough to know that he had two forefathers that also found wives at the well. So there was this kind of a constant um, thread in the in the legends and traditions of uh, of the Hebrew culture that said, if you need a wife, hang out at the well. Um, I know I know that there are some people that say the best place to find you know a spouse is to hang out at the grocery stores. Because you know, I, 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 well, actually, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, you know, I found my wife. Oh, it was a glorious day. Um, but I found her at uh, at school. So that's that. I, I, yeah. Bob's like, please don't start this story. It this this episode would go an hour and a half, and hands down, it will. It's one of my. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. Maybe I'll do a bonus episode <laughs> on on uh, my version of of meeting my wife. It's just, for me, it's just fun. All right. He, uh, so he's observing things. Um, he sees seven, he, well, he's, he probably sees the flocks coming. He's like, oh, shepherds are in the area, watches them come up. He notices that they're, you know, that this particular group of shepherds are all, um, you know, all women, but, you know, all, both genders and all ages, were shepherds uh, in this area. There was not an exclusive male-only thing or only foreigners or, you know, hired hands or whatever. A everybody could be a shepherd. Anyone could be a shepherd. So it wasn't like, oh, this is unusual. It just was unusual that all, you know, that, that it was just seven daughters and they were all related. And there were no men working with them, no hired hands that, that were around. So they went to the well, they opened it, and they began pulling up water, filling their, their bowls, and filling the trough. Now, this could have been the fact, you know, they could have showed up, let's say, an hour earlier than most because they don't like trouble. 
and they knew their father had been dishonored. They 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 knew that you know there there was potential of issues with other people being around. I I don't know. But you get the idea that they kind of were coming up by themselves and they were getting the water that they needed. And then some shepherds came along and drove them away. Now, uh, Moses watches this. He sees the young men. Now, maybe there were some old ones too. Maybe it was the young ones that caused the, the issues. I don't know. But they drive the girls away and the flocks. So they begin to, to take it, you know, they're stealing the water. These girls had already filled the troughs. They, their flocks were starting to drink. These guys run off the girls. They, they, you know, threaten them. They bully them. They push them. They drive the flocks. They scare the flocks. Sheep are, you know, notoriously skittish when, when things get violent. They just don't know what to do. They kind of scatter uh, the girls are also conscious and, and uh, what do I want to say, conscientious. Uh, they want to make sure they don't lose their sheep amongst the other herds. So they're now, half of them are, you know, chasing the flocks, trying to keep the flocks together. Others, others groups of the sheep are just kind of gathered over in various shady spots. They don't know what to do. They don't have a leader. The girls are being bullied and pushed. The men are laughing. They're they're putting their flocks up to the trough. They're they're surrounding the uh, you know the well. They're using the girls' buckets to get the water out. Like they just they're pretty proud of themselves, as most bullies are. You you find a bully, you find somebody who likes to brag about how tough they are. Now that's just my idea, but that's what I picture happening. They steal the work. They steal the water. And basically, I think you know Moses is like. I think he's watching this and he's thinking, uh, should I get involved? Should I get involved? I probably shouldn't get involved. I really shouldn't draw attention to myself. I've done a good job of not bringing, you know, drawing attention to myself. No one's following me. No one knows who I am. I'm just a, I'm just a, oh, I cannot stand what these guys are doing. This is so wrong. And he went back and forth in his mind. And then it was like, you know what? No, forget it. I can, I can basically find another place to live. I, no, this is just wrong. And so he rises up. It says that he he stepped in, he arose, which means to stand, to become powerful and hostile. It says he uh, Moses Moses got up, he rose up, he came to their rescue, he helped them, he delivered them, he saved them in battle. He was victorious. Those, that's what those words, all, all those meanings flow into this verse or into that phrase. So he rises up, he becomes powerful. I don't know if you've ever watched somebody kind of get up and get powerful. It's a, it's an amazing shift in the atmosphere when that happens, right? You can, I don't, I don't care how big of the crowd is. If somebody suddenly gets powerful, the whole crowd knows it and everybody starts to watch or they get involved because they feel challenged. So Moses rises up, he gets powerful. And then he starts to help them. He delivers them. He saves them in battle. He is victorious. I think he challenges them right away 
with a you know with that with a booming voice. Man, this guy, remember, he might have had a stutter. That might have been something that kind of kept him from stepping in right away. But when he rose up, he shouted out something. It wasn't like a I don't I don't even know if it was a full sentence. And maybe he just rose up and said, "Stop it." And they what any bully would do, right? They they see one guy stand up, they immediately think we can take him because there's more of us than there is of him. And they decide to take him on. But it wasn't a challenge that they should have taken. Because as as they're fighting, as they're fighting, I think that that he he again belittles them with little things about their strength and the fact that they could push girls around, but now they're falling over to him. The fact that they could that they were too weak to draw their own water and had to steal someone else's. The fact that they were such poor shepherds that the only thing they could do is drive sheep away. Now, during this battle, right? He battles. He's he's going after them. He's mocking their skills. He's pushing them then them down. He's he's their their flocks are now scattering. Their sheep are now, you know, stirring up the dust. Like, this had to be a pretty fun uh, thing to have witnessed if there were other shepherds, which would not have been unusual, right? They all kind of came around the same time. There would have been other strangers, uh, homeless, so to speak, people that were kind of hanging out at the, at the oasis. They're watching this Egyptian step in and take on these shepherds, these guys that were pushing around the dishonorable daughters of Raul. Uh, it it had to be it had to be something to see and when he's all done confronting them because clearly he had the superior hand to hand combat techniques this guy was a a well trained uh, military general at one point he he did not he did not back down and even though there were multiple other shepherds they knew probably within about Eight to ten moves that this was not a guy to, to mess with. He took out the strongest one first. That guy was on the ground, couldn't move. And the next two that were just kind of boisterous came in, and they lost the battle real quick. And the other guys started backing up and started looking for places to hide. And Moses starts just kind of jumping at him, making threatening moves. And they back off, and they decide they better just go take their flocks and go sit somewhere else for a few minutes. And while they're doing that... It says that Moses, according to the girls, Moses went ahead and continued to pull up water on his own. He gathers the girls' flocks. He finishes watering them while the girls continue to take care of a few stray sheep here and there. And they are rescued from the assault. And their flocks get watered. And they have water for, for their home. So they're all excited. They, the day went great. And, and they're bullied bullying bullying neighbors were all put to shame and the egyptian whoever he was just went basically it sounds like he kind of went back to his little shed or tent or whatever it was he had put up and uh you know they thanked him i'm sure they said thank you and he was like you're welcome i can't stand to see you know people taking advantage of and uh he walked back to his his tent and sat down and they left with their flocks now, I don't know what he was thinking would happen. I'm guessing he figured, well, that, that was good. That was a good day. That was fun. I, you know, I haven't done something like that in a while. Kind of let out some steam, kind of blow off some some anger that he had maybe harboring against uh, Pharaoh or 
against the taskmasters or others who got him kicked out of Egypt. Maybe frustration over the fact that the Hebrews didn't see him as their leader. I have no idea what was going on. But I'm sure he sat down and he probably felt pretty good about himself. Probably thought that was a good day. And then I'm guessing others that were around the, uh, what do I want to say, around the watering hole, they probably sat back and thought, hey, we should go up and talk to him. He's, he's got more skills than we knew. We thought he was just an interesting single dude kind of hanging out at the watering hole. Now, I, and I get that. I do. You know, again, we're currently living in RV parks. You know, I, I observe people. Uh, out my window all the time, kind of watch what they do. I mean, we talk. I, I know I know all my neighbors, but there's others. You just see them walking their dog. I don't know. It's you kind of people watch. Like, oh, I wonder what they're doing today. Oh, they're, they're, uh, their storage compartment's open. What are they putting away? Are they getting ready to leave? Are they packing up? Or are they just rearranging? What's going on? It's, it's, uh, it's not that you're scared to go over and talk to them. You just don't necessarily go over and talk to them unless they're doing something that you've done before or they're doing something where, you know, they clearly they need some help and you think, well, I'll just step over and help them. So I would imagine people who observed Moses doing this thought, well, we should go over and uh, talk to that guy. That was pretty impressive. So while he's having... Uh, New connections around the watering hole. The girls, talk, you know, walk home. I don't know how long this takes. I don't know how far away from the watering hole they live, but they they go. They leave the well. They go. They get home. They they put their flocks in the pens. They they check on the health of all of the flocks because you never know when one of those things might twist an ankle. They're goofy animals. Those crazy sheep, and they might have had some goats to put away and separate here and there. And everybody was accounted for. And then. They go in and and um, I don't know if they change, but I'm sure they kind of at least rinse their hands and feet off and face and kind of uh, refresh themselves after the, after the journey and the in the dust and the sweat. And then of course they had to go in and give their report. Now I don't know what it's like to listen to a report from seven girls all at once, but I imagine their father's used to it at this point. I don't know if he only allowed one of them to speak at a time or what, but. But I've been around a table with uh, with a lot of uh, people trying to give a report on the same event, and uh, it can get rather. It doesn't have to be seven of the same gender by any means. It could be male or female or a mix of both. It can get pretty crazy. Sometimes it gets crazy with just two people trying to report on the same event. And I don't know if you've ever been around Bible teachers like myself. You get three or four of us at a table, and we start talking about a familiar story like this, and it can get crazy. This happened just uh, a couple weeks ago. A friend of mine brought up something from the life of, of Joseph and Moses, and I was like, uh, now granted, I was uh, it was late at night, and I was not tracking with what he said, and he meant the dreams of Joseph, and I was like, but he didn't say Joseph because he couldn't remember Joseph, and I couldn't. I kept thinking it was Moses, and I was like, "We don't, there's no dreams of Moses. Moses didn't have a dream. Yes, he did. It was, remember, it was terrible. And I was like, and and back and forth we went, and I later, I mean, the next day we straightened it out, but it was kind of funny because as I think about it, like we, we still both have a different perspective on those dreams. Now, if you listen to season two, you know my perspective on those dreams was one of a good God warning a, quote, ungodly leader about, 
you know, what was coming because God's good and he tries to thwart the, the plans of the enemy by, by showing the plans of the enemy to a leader so that he could, he could not have his entire nation, you know, be killed by famine. So he did not share that view. <laughs> We're, we are still friends, but <laughs> I was just thinking if you just have two theologians or Bible teachers at a, at a, Table trying to tell the same story. It's the same thing. You get, get. Maybe I'm the problem. You put me, <laughs> you put me at a table, and someone tries to tell a story about an angry God who wants to kill people, and I just immediately, not immediately, but I try to. I wait. I do try to be honoring, and then I slowly, you know, and then I'll say something. I always have to say something because, man, I think God is good all throughout time. I think He looks just like Jesus all throughout eternity. So, back to seven girls giving a report on the day. So, they they start to talking. Now, again, the father starts the questioning by saying, you guys are home early today. What happened? And I just think when he did that, he unleashed a deluge of crazy, spectacular details. Because the girls... Like well, not and I say girls not in a disparaging way. Just the fact that there were only that's who that's all who were there. Seven of them. They're they're immediately like somebody. Somebody always wants to start at the at like the conclusion, right? And then there's someone like me that wants to start all the way at the beginning and tell all the details up to the conclusion. And they get a little. Mm, let's just say they have an opportunity to exercise patience. <laughs> with the person who wants to start at the end and then just kind of backfill with a few caveat details. Like, so I'm sure somebody's like, we were rescued by an Egyptian. And somebody's like, no, no, that's not how it was. First of all, we got the sheep together to go to the watering hole. No, no, don't start way back there. He knows we were doing that. I just wanted to tell him we were rescued by an Egyptian. And he bullied and he punched and he, and he told everybody to leave and he rescued. Will you stop it? Dad, that's not how it happened. And 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 uh, that's the way I picture it. And I just think it went on and on. And eventually, you know, again, Jethro slash Raul, he's, he's used to this. So he's probably grinning and trying like this is not a normal everyday story at the watering hole so so he's he's looking around waiting like okay wait okay um and he's slowly kind of putting together the outline of the story as they're as they're arguing with each other about who should tell the story and who tells it best and what details have been forgotten and why they were important. And then somebody else is like, and then this other, this one sheep, just, I could not find her. And I am looking and I can hear her, but I can't find her. And they're like, no one cares about that part. She's like, well, I care. I like that part. I, I did find him. You have any idea where that sheep was? And then they want to go off on their little sheep trail as to where the sheep went. And then, and then they want to talk about how embarrassed uh, all the other shepherds were that took on this Egyptian and how he belittled them and beat them and was victorious over them and how they took their flocks and ran off into the hills to wait for them to, you know, for the girls to finish watering, how other, other people watched everything and they saw everything. And you could ask anybody, you could ask anybody who was there. He was so big and strong and, oh man, could he 
fight. It was crazy. He took this, he took the staff out of this one guy's hand. And he spun it around his head and beat him and bopped him and poked him and pushed him. And then he threw the broke the staff and threw it at him. Like this, it just had to be spectacular. This story had to be spectacular from beginning to end. And when it finally ended, Raul looks at his daughters and says, "Where? well, where is he? And the phrasing of that is like he's mystified. Like how, how did you not invite him here? Like the lack of hospitality shown to this Egyptian was mystifying to, his, to, to him. Now, maybe because of his, as tradition says, maybe because of his lack of position now in the community, maybe they had thought it was inappropriate to invite strangers over. I mean, at one point, it would have been absolutely like every stranger went to the went to Raul's house. Every stranger was hosted by the priests because you had to be, in essence, vetted by him. But but they maybe hadn't had a guest in a long time. I don't know, but he seems shocked that they're not there, that he's not there. Why did you leave him? Invite him here to have something to eat. So they all go back. I mean, that honestly had to be kind of funny. I would imagine the walk back, they had a few things to say to each other. I can't believe you didn't invite him. Why would I invite him? You're the oldest. You should have invited him. Why didn't you say anything to him? Well, I was busy leading the sheep because I'm the oldest and I'm in charge and I was doing the right thing. I say that because most oldest kids are always trying to do the right thing. And they were like, well, dad said we should have invited him. I knew we should have. You would invite anyone over our house. Our dad has been dishonored. And 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 that's why we're, we were even bullied is because no one likes us anymore. We can't just invite anyone. Well, I wouldn't have invited anyone. I'm just saying I would have invited the Egyptian. But I just didn't say anything because I knew you would say no. And back in... I'm not saying they argued the whole way. I just think they had a few things to say to each other on the way back. And they get back and they find Moses, probably not far from where, from where the well is. He's probably sitting in the tent that he had created there and he's just kind of hanging out. Other shepherds would have been coming and going and they would have probably already heard from other shepherds what had happened and they probably nodded at him and smiled at him and they thought, okay, that's the guard of the well. Don't mess around at the well. That dude will kill you or at least hurt you real bad. So the seven girls come up, and I imagine that they can be very convincing, <laughs> especially to a guy who has kind of lost his calling. And they come to him and say, you know, kind sir, can you please join us for dinner? Our father would love to, you know, have you for dinner. It would be an honor to have you in our home for dinner. We are grateful for what you, you know, for the kindness you showed your servants, like however they worded it. And I would imagine Moses is sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, like this makes sense. I should have been invited to their house. And they probably are a little embarrassed. And I probably should have been invited right away. And now they're back here. And this is a little embarrassing. And he probably at that point had gotten every backstory that anybody could tell him about the family as he was sitting by the well over the last several hours. And he realizes that if he, you know, if he doesn't go, this could really look bad for the family. So 
whatever, all the layers come together and he's like, yes, I'll, I'll go to dinner. And again, this is not a, uh, you know, a, let's go out to, um, almost said the Outback. <laughs> let's go out to the local restaurant and get ourselves something to eat. Like dinner would have involved a lot of preparation and a lot of, uh, you know, uh, now having just one more guest, maybe not a lot of extra preparation. If you're already feeding eight people, one more really doesn't matter. I know this because we had a family of six. And we could invite a you know a, another couple over and almost like you almost didn't have to add anything like it just was like yeah we'll have plenty like stop by, so I kind of get it like it, there probably wasn't a ton of extra preparation, but there was some preparation in the terms of honor. The father I'm sure did things in and around the, the area in which they ate, which probably was on the ground in front of them. He probably wanted to make sure that the the seat was freshly fluffed pillows or really, you know, get the get the nice skins for him to sit on. I have no idea, but but it was there and Moses went. Moses agreed to stay with the man, to dwell with him. And he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Now, this is all Again, uh, you know, in 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 the in the movies, right? She comes out. She's serving dinner. And Moses is like, "Ooh, she's pretty." He's get those big eyes, and she looks at him and thinks, "Ooh, he's so cute." And there's it's fine, right? You have to get through this quickly in a movie because you just don't have time for anything else. <laughs> and really, the Bible goes pretty quickly through it. But there's there's a bit of a story here because he dwelled with him. And Moses is, by that it means that he was seen by the father. Raul paid attention to who he was. He listened to who he was. He, he got to know Moses and his journey. And Moses felt a connection with this, with this, um, this priest that had stepped away from something that was no longer real to him. And Moses probably felt very similar to his calling as an Egyptian and a ruler. Like this, you know, it was all a fantasy. It was all, I, I thought I had it all made up in my head. I thought for sure this is the way it would go, and it didn't. And I don't even know what to do with it anymore. I think that they found um, a common core vocabulary and, and emotionally connected with each other, even though their journeys were vastly different. And he was seen, as, uh, you know, I think Moses was seen as a righteous man, a good man, a man who loved justice, who clearly defended those who were being bullied. Now, I don't want to say weak, because I do know that there are those who like to pile on women at this point, like they're the weaker they're the weaker gender, and and this is you know God, God's example how men need to defend girls, and there's I get that men should defend the those that are being bullied. Anyone should defend somebody who's being bullied. If a man's being bullied, and you're the only one around, then step in. You defend justice, and that's what Moses did, and. And uh, Raul would have seen that. So he betrothed him to his eldest daughter. Now, that's something that 
in some way Moses had to agree to. Like as as they're talking, Raul realizes this guy needs a new a new life. He needs a place to live. He needs he needs a job. He needs everything. And actually, I can I can provide all that for him. And in exchange, I get an amazing son-in-law who is righteous and just and strong and wise and creative and smart. I mean, he's everything you'd want around the house to take care of your business. He understands all kinds of things that are far beyond our little, you know, tribe. International law, international, he speaks, you know, probably at this point, five languages. He understands philosophy. Like there's so many things that Moses would have, not even in his desire to be known, just kind of let it out there. Like this is my life type of thing that, that Raul would have been like, whoa, 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 this guy is like, whoa, he knows his stuff. So he's betrothed to the oldest. There would have been at least a week of celebration and a new life begins. All of that contained in a verse, right? Who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And then it says Zipporah gave birth. Well, that took at least nine months. And Moses named him a name that says, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. I am a stranger in this land is another way of saying it. So Moses still felt disconnected even while making a new life in that land. He still didn't feel connected. He felt as though he was, he belonged somewhere else. He belonged in Egypt. He belonged with the Hebrews. And here he is starting a new life with Zipporah. I think he also kind of felt disconnected from God because he didn't fulfill what he believed God had called him to do. I still think he, he thought God wanted him to bring the Egyptians and Hebrews together and form one great nation. But whatever he believed he was supposed to do, he, he now thinks it's over. It's not something I'm supposed to do. I'm done. And in that disconnection, he all, in his mind, he thought, I'm always going to feel like a stranger. And just as a side note, Raul is also named Jethro, right? We see that in, in the book of Numbers. Now, I have no idea what season Numbers will come out, but Jethro in Numbers 10, 29 is, is Zipporah's father. It's, it's Moses' father-in-law. He's the guy who shows up to give Moses some basic wisdom on how to deal with people and delegate. And Raul would have been... Uh, the name of the of Jethro's father, the girl's grandfather. So it would not have been the girls could have reported to both men, and Raul would have been the older of the two, so he would have been the name listed as the one that they reported to. Now that could be what was going on in the story, and Jethro would have been there. But Raul would have been the one that was still seen as a patriarch of the family and therefore the one that they reported to and the one who is given credit for calling for Moses to come down, etc. The other, the other position that could easily have happened is this. Raul was one of the names of Jethro because it, he belonged to Raul. That was very common for you to be called by your father's name. 
Now, I know this because my amazing wife uh, took a bunch of genealogies that my grandfather had put together, and she really pursued it. And it gets really crazy toward, you know, you know, 50, 60 years ago because everybody was named, their last name was their father's first name and the word son after it. So it was like Gustafsson and Brown's son, you know, Leslie's son. Like there was uh, Smith's son, uh, whatever. There was just this, all, everything was a son. I know I just gave like all these last names. What about the first names, Bob? I know that, and you were sometimes you were called the last name of your grandfather, or you were called your grandfather's name, and now you were you were you know Jethro, and your last name was Leslie's son, and you're like, wait, wait, Leslie was the dad, Jethro was the grandfather, but he's just, just and it just gets crazy. So I totally understand how he could have gone by both names, Raul and Jethro, and and. I'm going to contend, based on later information that will come out, I think he went by Raul when he stepped down from the priesthood. He just kind of went with a different name. Uh, people always called him Jeth Jethro when he was the priest, and now that he wasn't the priest, they call him Raul. Uh, but I'm guessing they're fairly interchangeable. And my goodness, we are still in chapter two. I knew it. I knew when I was reading, I was like, oh, that those last couple of verses, you're not going to make it. And dag nabbit, I was right. Now I have to change the title again. And But that's a, that's a technology thing, and I will figure that out some other time. All right, you ladies and gentlemen, have yourself a great day. I'll see you again next week. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Okay, okay. I know, I know. John probably picked up on this because he, he. I know you did, John. But I was talking. To, you you caught it right. I was talking about Joseph, kind of doing some backstory on him, and then I talked about his the fact that there are archaeologists who believe that they found his grave, and then I said it was Moses, and I was like they buried Moses with all of his brothers or something like that. Anyways, I I apologize. I, I layered the stories in my brain too much and I flipped the names. Uh, but yes, uh, I know, I know it was, it was Joseph's body that was found under the city of Ramses buried in the, in, uh, the original city of that, of the Delta that the Hebrews had moved into. Okay. <laughs> on, on with my other thoughts. Oh man. Um, I do want to, uh, yeah, I, 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 defender of justice, right? It is, it is, uh, it, it's an awesome thing. I, I know that a lot of people like the idea of violence when it comes to defending justice, defending, uh, the innocent, defending the poor and the weak. Uh, they like that idea of violence. I, I, uh, I know we saw it today in, uh, you know, in the story with Moses, and I don't think that this is one of those things where, God's like, yeah, I'm okay with you beating up people you don't agree with. I think he's just being honest that this is what Moses did. And I, I'm guessing, as you heard me say many several several different ways, I think he was at that well for a while. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was there for over a year. It makes more sense 
that he was there for a while and people knew him and understood at some level uh, who, who he was as a character that when he ended up going to the house of Jethro, that he was invited to marry the firstborn daughter. Like if, if Jethro had no idea who this guy was, if he had just showed up that day to give his, his daughter away, I, it just doesn't make, it, it, it doesn't make uh covenantial sense when you're going to make a covenant with somebody, you know, their character, which is one of the things we talk about uh, a lot uh, in future episodes when we talk about covenant, because so many believe that God's, First covenant here with Moses, you know, is is one thing, and then God changes character to become the God of the second covenant under Jesus. And and in covenant relationships, the character doesn't change. You don't go into covenant and until you know someone so well that you are confident that their character is not going to change. Anyways, enough about that. On to on to social justice, which is something that came up this week when I was uh, online interacting with some people and uh, they were like, is it, you know, isn't God about social justice? And I was like, man, that's a big word that needs a lot of definition or not even a word, right? It's several, it's a couple words. Uh, but generally I think what God is, is all about is freedom and hope and joy and peace and love. And these are the, these are the things that drive the kingdom of God. These are the things that God is always in favor of occurring in everybody's life. Now, what happens is people, people see the lack of those things and they become like Moses. They, they, they think I am now justified to be violent, to enslave others, to manipulate others, to create fear and, and, uh, fear and control and anger and and whatever in other people because they did it to me or they're doing it to this group of people and I've decided I'm going to defend them. I'm going to be the defender of justice. I'm going to be the bringer of social justice in the name of God. That is the same mentality that so many wars have started from throughout history, if you study history. I mean, the whole... Crusades were all built around this concept of, I'm doing this for God. I'm defending the kingdom of God, defenders of justice. It's, it's a fascinating thing to examine in and of yourself. It's something that you should, you should examine, like, what's your, what's your, what's your position? Because if you think, if you think that violence is good, right? If you think violence is acceptable, is a is a is a tool that God uses in order to exact his will on people, then violence is justified. Therefore, you know, there's only one <laughs> there's only one right person and that person gets to be violent. And then you have to go to God and say, well, God's, God's the one that can, that can get violent because he's just and righteous and holy and, and all knowing and he can be violent. It's like, well, then, then Jesus should have been. And then we go back to the temple and you already know how I feel about that. You go to the bonus episode on season one and, and see that Jesus, there's no, there's nothing in the context that says Jesus was violent at the temple 
I, I know you I know you've been preached to that it has it it's it can go either way. It's a new it's all neutral. It can go either way. So it depends on the person doing the teaching that turns it into a violent situation. All that to circle back around, I guess, it's a big subject, social justice is, but I do know that the kingdom of God, kingdom justice, always brings more freedom, always brings more hope, always brings more love, always brings you know creative wisdom to problem solving. It doesn't just show up and start beating people up. Even though I know that's what Moses did in this story. Anyways, you guys have a great day. Thanks so much for hanging out. Uh, I'll see you next week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.